0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth expert where I help business owners grow and scale to create wealth and freedom. And today I have an awesome guest. He's a peak performance coach, strategist, leader, speaker and best-selling author. He's regarded as one of the most successful international sports coaches in history as head coach of one of the greatest teams in sports history, the Australian cricket team from 1999 to 2007. And he has over 30 years of experience in helping teams, businesses and organisations find their winning model for sustaining them through the good and bad times. And so we large companies like Telstra and HSBC and sporting teams or organisations like the FA, ECB, Kolkata Knight Raiders in the IPL, the NRL, Queensland Reds and Athletics Australia. And he has spoken to over 200,000 people across five continents. And he translates the deep insights of peak performance on the sports field into winning behaviors and actions in the business arena. Welcome, John Buchanan. And thank you for being on my show.
1: Hi, Ethan. Lovely to be here.
0: Awesome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be a great show for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey.
1: Okay, um, well, I didn't realise this show was about a three-hour long show, so uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a journey. But it, look, briefly, um, you know, uh, I grew up uh, as a young boy on the Gold Coast uh, back in the 60s, and um, hopefully like all young children these days, a lot of them have dreams about representing their country. In, in my case, it was in sport and, and in particular cricket. So, you know, I... I played test matches in the backyard with friends and uh, obviously was part of school teams and first elevens and all those sort of things and went on to university where i played a lot of cricket for university and and eventually made my way onto the first class arena which was around for those who follow cricket was around the um packer series when packer came in and revolutionized cricket but he also took a lot of the um, top players out of the game and uh, that gave people like myself a bit of an opportunity to play first class cricket. But um, unfortunately that dream sort of um, disappeared because ambition went one direction and ability was going another direction. So the selectors gave me a a very quiet tap on the shoulder and said you better go and find another career mate. So uh, at that stage I used my uh, Human Movement Studies degree which I'd got from the University of Queensland and, and went off and became a Sport Administrator, a Sport and Recreation Administrator. And I thought, well, that's that's kind of going to be the dream as well, because I got involved with the 12th Commonwealth Games back in 1982. And I thought, this is a wonderful dream. I love sport. I love being involved in putting events together and and bringing people together and, and, uh, you know, really making sport tick. So I pursued that for a while till I was National Director of Australian Volleyball and they moved the office to Canberra and we had a young family at that stage. So, made a decision that that was the end of the sports administration dream per se because we weren't going to ever go to Canberra. So I then went and got a diploma of teaching and started teaching in in TAFE and realised that while I enjoyed the teaching, I just didn't believe I could make the right connection with the students that I was teaching. because I had a, quite a privileged background, really privileged upbringing, whereas again, a lot of the students that I was dealing with were quite the opposite. So having reached that sort of conclusion, what was next? And the dream was, well, I like teaching, I love sport. University is not a bad place to be, you know, particularly when they get lots of holidays. So let's go and get a degree, a further degree, and I'll come back and start lecturing in sports administration, sports coaching, sports marketing and so on. And so there was an opening in Brisbane and uh, the guy that was running the program said, well, look, if you can get a master's from overseas and be back within uh, two years and there'll be a job waiting here. So that's what we did. So uprooted the family, two young children and my wife and I, and headed over to Alberta uh, at the University of Alberta in Edmonton and spent two years studying there. Uh, unfortunately, I got a call from that said head of uh, school who said, unfortunately, that job's gone. Somebody's got a degree before you and they've now got the job. But he did say there was a job in Canberra. So having said, we're never going to Canberra. uh, Well, we came back, Uh, I left my wife in Brisbane with the two young children at at the parents' place. And the third child came along while I was setting up lodgings in Canberra. So I I lectured at the the University of Canberra for two and a half years. And again, a bit of a dream. Or become a professor and keep teaching in this uh, environment and around sport and everything that I really quite enjoy, so that sounds pretty idyllic. However, the rules changed a bit, so I only had a master's degree and everything moved towards needing PhDs because PhDs was all about research and bringing money into the universities and so on and so it became less about the quality of teaching but more about other things that were important to universities. So That kind of squashed that dream. And um, so we again began again searching around and I finally found a job back in Queensland, uh, which was within the Department of Tourism, Sport and Racing, where I managed a program called Aussie Sport, uh, which was a a federal program managed by state education departments and, and state sporting departments. And it was all about providing young children with the best possible experience they could at entry level into sport, which is really so important. So we modified equipment, modified rules, modified um, behaviors and a whole range of different things. And it was a pretty exciting program. And I continued on that for some time and, and went back to my old career club, university career club and did some coaching there. And then suddenly the Queensland Sheffield Shield team, the Queensland Bulls were advertising for a coach. It had been Jeff Thompson, to that point, he'd been there for four years or so running the side and had come very close to winning a Shield Queensland and never won a Sheffield Shield in 69 years of trying. I've, I've been, as I said, uh, had one season at that in terms of my own career, career, career playing career. And uh, so I decided to have a run at it. And, and that really was probably the watershed moment in my life because it actually made me stop and, and think a heck of a lot about this thing called coaching which I probably had been doing but I'd also been influenced by a whole range of coaches from parents to teachers to actual sport coaches and and both good and bad, the things you like and the things you don't like. So when I went to the interview I was able to present a, a case to the interview panel about what I could bring to Queensland cricket and it wasn't going to be a cricket pedigree because I didn't have that but I could bring a whole lot of other things that I thought were really important to help Queensland Cricket maybe finally cross that Holy Grail off at some point in time. So I gave them a picture about you know, we were going to dominate domestic cricket for the next 10 years and somewhere in there we'd win a shield. And, and to do that, we were going to change a lot of the system and process. So that was the approach. They gave me the opportunity. And indeed, first year we we managed to win the Sheffield Shield. And so I stayed with Queensland for five years, and uh, towards the end of that tenure, the Australian job came up. So I applied for that. I was very fortunate again to be given that opportunity, and was with Australia from '99 to 2007. As you mentioned, it was an incredible period of time for, for Australian cricket. Uh, in fact, you know that that period is probably, and I'm going to try to say this as humbly as possible. But um, it it is probably one of the greatest cricket teams, if not the greatest cricket team of all time, and certainly one of the great sporting teams. In fact, 2002, it was given the award, the Laureus, which are global sporting awards as as the greatest team in that year uh, for sport. So, yeah, I continued that to 2007. I was able to leave on my own terms. It was time to leave, and in the process of, of leaving, I was setting up my coaching and leadership business, as you mentioned at the intro. Really, there's a whole lot of lessons that I've I've learned through life and study and and just other experiences. But sport was really the vehicle that condensed a lot of these lessons into, I thought, really important um, formulas, methods, frameworks, ways of being, if you like, to, to run business, corporate small business no matter what for for leaders and so on. And so that's what I've been doing really since uh two thousand and seven today.
0: Yeah. Awesome, mate. What a story. And I love um, you know, the different challenges and moving around. And it shows that, you know, it doesn't always start glamorous, but then you take your opportunities and then, you know, work your way up and then you've, yeah, create a lot of success out of it. So Love that. Um, let's touch on the, the sporting side um, first, initially, because, yeah, you know, um, I, I remember watching the Australian team growing up and, um, you know, all, all the great players that everyone will know, you know, the War Brothers and Ponting and Bevan. And uh, there's just so many Warney of course, unfortunately, uh, he's passed away now, but, um, you know, many, many great players. Um And and it really yeah you could see they were a great team Um, obviously they had ability um, but you know obviously you helped them to build a great team who had unprecedented success um, like you mentioned Um, I think out of cricket they're probably the most successful team you know um, in in history uh, for that period so I'd like to know more about like some of the players about what were some key traits do you remember seeing about these players. And how did you get the most out of them to make sure, yeah, they were, they were, you know, um, delivering and, and playing their best?
1: Sure. Well, maybe um, two, I'll, I'll take from two perspectives. One, uh, I'll talk a little bit about Stephen War, and then
0: the other is about ego. You know how
1: I guess I'm often asked that, how do you deal with all these big egos and, and how do you make, bring all that together? Well, I guess my starting point with that all the time is that I believe that Players, but indeed, even in business, you need a a strong ego. And it's what I define by a strong ego. Uh, And that is that from the the player's perspective, they had to go out on stage to perform. You know, in business, our our stage is often uh, sheltered by walls around us or at the end of a telephone or as we are at the moment, just sort of on screen. But a sports person is on show. You know, they're they're on show through the week when they're training, but particularly they're on show when game time's around. And so there's a whole lot of eyes and and, and um, ears and everything is there, you know, and, and not only can people see you directly and they can comment to you directly, good and bad, but there's scoreboards that operate as well. And so there's a, a huge amount of Accountability, immediate accountability in terms of how you're performing as an individual or as a team. And, and so to, to deal with that, a strong ego becomes really important insofar as what that means is that the individual understands their game pretty well, understands how they perform it or when they perform it the best, basically what do they do. You know, so therefore, what they need is to be able to do that so that when they go out on their stage under the microscope of media and public and stakeholders and you know everybody else, that they give themselves best chance to perform. Not, there's never any guarantees of that, of course, but, but there is a guarantee if they don't necessarily prepare the way that they need to prepare, they're unlikely to perform all that well. So, that's where a strong ego comes in because the players, are, you know, will be quite demand. Were quite demanding about what it was that they needed to do to get themselves ready to play. And so I think that's a really important part for any person, any business athlete uh, or any leader that they, they really do need to have a really good understanding of when I'm at my best, what am I doing, you know? And so how do I get myself ready to do that? So that I, again, as I say, no guarantees, but I give myself a chance of having a really good day a really good meeting a really good project whatever it might be you know so so that's one i think that's um so important the, the job of the coach then obviously with all those egos is, is definitely to manage those um because they will um collide at different times uh, they will um interfere maybe with uh, a team culture they might um, intersect with coaches ideas and so on so there's all those dynamics going on and so therefore the role of the coach is to hopefully anticipate some of that, hopefully to manage it such that the collisions are minimised and, and those that do occur are not necessarily that serious and can be repaired reasonably quickly. You know, So, so that's a pretty critical role of the coach, managing people, managing their egos, making sure that um, they're in best possible shape to go and perform. And to do that too, part of that role is that, You just don't try to understand the athlete, you try to understand the person, try to work with the person, so the whole person rather than just the athlete, because it gives you far better insights into why they operate, how they operate, um, who who are the the key people for them. Because, you know, in my case, I would have said I, I can get along with most people, but there will be certain people or certain times when I'm the wrong person to, to intervene in a situation or to have a conversation. So so given that, well, who are the other people that really can conduct the sort of things that we need to do, need to have done with, um, you know, an individual such that, yes, those collisions or the conflicts or the debate or however people are feeling are, are managed well so that they're, they're not a, a lingering cancer that, that could reside within the team. So. So again, the, the coach's role is to understand those persons and those personalities as best as possibly can. The, the the other one that I mentioned then was uh, about Stephen Moore, and the reason I, I say that is because it is all around leadership, and even though it's a you know he occupied obviously a formal role as captain of the team, what we try to instil was leadership in everybody. And so if I give you a couple of stories, this might um, exemplify the point. So in 2001, it was my first tour of England and and, uh, Stephen was captain taking us uh, through the ashes. And what I had done with him is that we decided we'd visit Gallipoli um, on the way to England because, one, it was a bit of a, a team bonding activity, but it was also trying to have players sort of move outside their comfort zone, get outside of the dressing room, experience other things um, that life really has to offer if you choose to want to listen and observe and and learn from them. And Gallipoli was just an, an experience where there was a sense of this is where Australia was born. I think people talk about that. And I think if you ever get an opportunity to go to Gallipoli, You'll feel that whole sense. You'll understand why people say that because it is an incredible place to be. An incredible. It's just too hard to imagine what what happened there. But um, so the idea was to uh, experience that, and and then with that experience, um, we then ventured across to England, and I had a uh, first team meeting there. And the idea of the team meeting was to have everybody then explain in their own words the impact of Gallipoli on on them as a person and share that with the group. So, you know, that was pretty uh, pretty amazing, some of the things that people were saying there. At the same stage, I um, had a bought a little management book called Who Moved My Cheese, which was a pretty popular book at that stage. And I thought, really good book for, for athletes to some degree, because it was nice and thin and big print, you know, all those sort of things. So it should be easy to easy to read. And so the idea of the book, The idea of reading the book was to say well here on tour what cheese am i going to move that will help and benefit the team for the the tour so we got everybody to again sort of speak up and tell us what they thought that they could do to achieve that end and it came around to a young bloke by the name of Andrew Simons who sadly is is no longer with us and this was his first tour of England uh, first time in the Australian team, I think, as well. Uh, he, he just sort of broken into the one-day side and uh, came around to him and, and just... I, I'd known Andrew for some time because he'd been part of the Queensland set-up and knew his parents. So, so I knew quite a bit about his background and part of that background was that his, his vocabulary uh, or the extent of his vocabulary was quite limited and his ability to uh, even spell that the words that he did have was, was learned as well. So um came round to him and and said, Andrew, you know, what, what did you make of the book? What of cheese are you going to make? And he said, well, coach, um, you know what? I've, I've never read a book up until now, and I haven't started yet. <laughs> so so yeah, here he was, the young black like, in front of everybody, to, this is, and saying, this is who I am, you know, this is who I am. And, you know, he did move a lot of cheese in, in a short period of time that he was there because at the end of the one-day uh, segment of the tour, of which he was a part, he wasn't part of the test group, so at the end of the one-day segment, he would leave to go home. And at that point, we are at Lord's, and he, he said to Stephen Moore and I, can I see you boys before I leave? And he said, yeah, of course. And we went into a room at Lord's and the first thing he said to us was, um, I'm retiring. And we were just stunned because obviously, as I said, he'd just broken into the Australian team. His dream and his passion was to play cricket for Australia. And here he was saying he was going to retire and, and we were kind of obviously very quizzical and, and, and very uh, confused at what he was saying this. And he said, look, in that dressing room, I can't have a an open conversation with a lot of people. I I, I just don't believe that I can uh, I can trust exactly what they they're saying, and I don't therefore believe I can you know be myself. And I don't like cultures like that, and therefore I don't think I should be a part of this group. And that's why I'm going to retire from cricket, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to play for the Broncos because he loved his rugby league. Anyway, fortunately, by the time we got home, he was back playing cricket, and uh, and the story moved on because again, that was a really critical part of what we were trying to achieve within the the culture of the that Australian cricket team was really to make sure that that type of comment or that feeling or that environment no longer existed. But to Stephen, just so these goes on, Stephen got injured on that tour in about the third Test match, and. Uh, did a calf muscle. Cut a Long story short, somehow he got himself right for the fifth test match. And he was probably only about 80% right, but he, he played in that test match, made 150 not out, um, and then stayed on the field for the, the whole game. You know, you know, We were always trying to get him off the field either with runners or to say, you know, your job was done, but he wouldn't do that. And the point about this was that Stephen, th- through his actions, through his Leadership by example, if you are like his behaviours, was telling the opposition when you play an Australian cricket team, this is what you'll encounter, you know, not only skill, but you'll encounter toughness. You'll encounter never say die, never give in, um, you know, try to, I guess, overcome any sort of adversities uh, every time they're put in front of you. And so that was an external message, but it was also an internal message to all the, all the players in the, in the team and the young younger players who were around, you know, that it is a privilege to play for your country. It is a privilege to wear the baggy green cap and and therefore the sorts of things that, that I do really sort of kind of symbolise and emphasise uh, what that means. So, you know, long, long sort of answer to your question, but hopefully that gives you some insight as to how
0: that all happened yeah that was awesome mate there was so much in there for everyone you know there there was you know john was talking about peak performance at the start and what is your process to get yourself into peak performance, which is very powerful. So understanding that element of yourself and then, you know, about the team about, you know, how do you work together with the team with all those egos? Um, and then how do you, um, yeah, have a trust, you know, a great environment to, you know, with that leadership to promote it. So there was so much, um, in this, so it's powerful how stories are just to highlight to people of how to unpack, you know, what just John was, um, sharing with us, which is, which is really awesome. Um, let's touch a bit more on leadership now because uh you know to grow a business successfully we need to be a great leader you know if, if we're running the business um we can't do it all ourselves. now i'd like to know what some key traits are that you think that we need to be a great leader so that we can get people you know to follow us and be part of our mission as well sure.
1: um well look I, I think one of the first things um i go back to that interview that i had with the Queensland panel to have a have a go at the, uh, the coaching run. As I said, it was a watershed moment for me because it actually made me stop and work out why I do what I do. you know what are my values, what are my principles, what are my corestone, what I believe in. And I, I just think that's such an important place for all leaders to to visit. Now everybody's got a philosophy that they use every day. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I, I, I guess I speak a lot in, in corporate events, and one of my questions is always, "Well, could anybody in the room here, in thirty seconds or less, just get up and tell everybody what their, um, you know, their leadership or their coaching philosophy is?" And you know, anecdotally, there's not very many that can do that. Yet everybody has one. And the the reason why I say that is so important is that, just talking about Stephen Moore there, leadership and coaching is, or or what people expect of leaders and coaches, is that they're just consistent. They're consistent in in their messages. They're consistent in their value sets. They're consistent in their principles. In other words, they deliver on those all the time. Now, you might put on a, a different mask for different situations. Um, you know, sometimes you could be angry, sometimes you can be quiet, sometimes you can be humorous. You know, there's different masks, but but the messages that are coming through are always the same. And so that's what what your staff require of you, and uh, players require of you is to be consistent. And so with that means, then it's not about popularity, albeit that we all like to be well liked by everybody. But what is important is to be consistent. So that will definitely lead you into conflict with with certain people or certain situations. Um, and it's at those times that you must, in my opinion, anyway, not compromise. Because I think you know we've all heard about you know crossing the line, stepping over the, the, that kind of imaginary line. And I think all leaders and all coaches and all people kind of know what that is. You know, even though it's um, yeah hard to define. But for me, I always maintain what well, like I said. I, I always had a buffer zone between myself and, and the players. So, And I was in control of the the buffer zone. So I could move it in as close as I wanted to, so that, you know, you kind of, people think you're one of the boys, if you like. Um, but as soon as I believed that that was getting too close to being one of the boys, then it was my opportunity to dial it back and and come away, so so I think that's a, a really important um, part of leadership. I, again, I think from those principles and values, then it is about uh, living daily, you know, just just living daily. And uh, because again, same thing, if if I as a leader don't do that, how can I expect everybody in my employees or my, my uh, athletes, to, to do things that I say, you know, well you go and do but in a sense I don't value them because I don't, I don't do them regularly anyway, so so need to live them day in, day out. The other thing I think, I think really good leadership is about vision um, you know, I just think leaders have to have one foot in the present because you've got to deal with stuff on a daily basis you know, everything's coming in The door, and you're you're in competition uh, every moment of every day in business. You know, sport has the luxury that it's got this preparation time. You know, so normally sport will have you play on the weekend, get off the game, review the game, uh, recover, and then gradually you've got a game the following weekend. So you analyze that position, and you set up your game plans and so on for that specific opposition, train that, and get yourself ready to play. Whereas business, you know, like you and I are talking here at the moment, but the world hasn't stopped because you and I are having this conversation. You know, we haven't been able to sort of say, well, once we once we finish this in in you know twenty minutes time, then the world can restart again. Well, it doesn't because you know business and com- is just constant competition. The world is the, the wheels are spinning, and so uh, as a business leader, then I think it's it's really important to make sure that you. Find a way to reflect on your own performance and you find a way to reflect on your your team's performance. Now, whether that's a small executive team or whether that's just a couple of staff members or whatever that might look like, I I think it's so important to follow the sports process, albeit that it's so condensed that therefore from setting up the day, well, what does success look like by the end of the day? what should that look like you know and, and of course you've got diaries that have got lots of meetings and activities that are that are happening and some deadlines to reach and so on and then of course you've got all the things that you haven't seen that sort of hit you from from left field so by the end of the day what will success look like and so once that occurs once we get through the end of the day then do we actually spend time reflecting on that or or again the next morning reflect on that and then again well set ourselves up for success so so you need to have that one foot in the present um, and understand how well you're going and then because again you know feedback accurate feedback and immediate feedback is the best type of feedback you can either give yourself or you can give somebody else um, you know that you're you're either leading or influencing the other foot must be in the future you know Um, so again we, we need to know where it is that we're going you know and and to me the vision is about that's pretty that's aspirational as well as inspirational. and so how do we know that we're tracking in that direction if we do not spend time reflecting and reviewing on how we're going without it becoming a, a rod for our own back you know because there's lots of data these days and there's lots of technology around that uh, can provide as much information as we want and sometimes that can just be totally overpowering so so We need to actually understand some of the the key metrics, if you like, the key indicators, both lead and and lag indicators of whether or not we're actually heading in the direction we want. And, And the sooner we can decide that, the easier it is to get ourselves back on track if we're not, you know. So there's a story about, you know, Apollo 11 going to the moon and uh you know blast off from Cape Canaveral lands on the moon so that's kind of 100% of the journey to the moon and the question is what what percentage of time was it on track to hit the moon and the answer is well it was only three percent that was directly on track to hit the moon and and that's because you know you're in space there's a lot of things going on Um, and and remember we're back in 1969 at that stage and and, uh, technologies were even though they were seemingly I suppose uh pretty advanced and they're probably regarded as pretty crude these days um, and, and so you know you had all this information coming back to the engineers in Cape Canaveral who were interpreting it and then sending it back to the astronaut who then had to ma- make the relative or relevant uh, adjustments and so it was a continual sort of zigzag uh, to, to land on the moon you know so, so it's the same I think process, if, if some of that information was not as immediate and accurate as it needed to be, then possibly they don't hit the moon. And that's the same for us in business. You know, we, we need to make sure that we're always reflecting, reviewing so that we can make the adjustments that we need to head in the direction we want.
0: Yeah. Awesome, mate. I love that. There's so much gold um, that we just shared about different ways of, of how to be a leader. And and I like that um, element of that buffer zone that you said there about, you know, how to lean, lean in sometimes to be close, but then also be able to lean back. I think that was uh, truly powerful. There was so much in there. So thank you for, for sharing that. One other thing you know, I want to chat about is change, right? And a lot of people like to stay comfortable. You know, a lot of people have heard about the comfort zone. It's just natural, right? That we want to do that. And it's a bit more unnatural to to want to go outside of our comfort zone. Um, but really change, as you know, you know, is important, right? For growth and staying ahead of our competition and making sure that we're growing as well as the business is growing. So what is your thoughts around how we can ensure that our team likes change and you know wants to to keep moving forward and and test those those boundaries i guess of, of what's possible
1: well again it possibly goes back to what i was just saying before one we need a vision for the for the business and and we need as leaders to bring people on that journey about where the business is going to go all right um now not everybody's going to get excited by it but but hopefully a number of people will and, of course, then it, it is about, well, you know, we, we are here now and, and that's where we want to be. So what that will require us to do is to, and, and again, with with um, athletes, uh, I would break it down into individual, a, a set of individual skills, which is, again, no different for um, any business uh, person. They, they might put a different label on it. but. Four four sets of key skills for an individual are, are their technical skills. So again, if if um, you know again uh, an example for uh, uh, the listeners might be that when we were um, sort of chasing uh, an Everest within it. Well, I, I use I always use the, the term Everest uh, for the the team. So Everest was. Kind of that aspirational, inspirational goal, which is around about ch- about changing the game, and and so that was always kind of the, the end picture. But to get there, how are we going to do that? And that was around our our skills, and so our technical skills—batting, bowling, fielding. Well, every role in every business has got a set of technical skills, you know. So if, if all we did as a team was continue to Um, train the technical skills that we had two or three years previously, then, yes, we we would remain quite competitive, but we couldn't remain ahead of the pack. And so it was always looking at those technical skills and how can we improve those? So that was one. Physical skills, same for any role in any job. Um, How do I turn up this morning ready to play? How do I turn up this morning at the office? and i'm ready to go and then how do i get through the day and then if i get through the day how do i recover from this day and then get myself ready for competition tomorrow so the whole physical side of any role is really important so that you the 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 role has demands of it and and you physically can cope with those demands day in day out then then the mental skills you know so uh, apart from all the you know uh, Emotional intelligence and, and 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 those sorts of soft skills. The real one for me is is just about how do I get in the zone, you know? So so how do I? What's my routine that that kind of shuts everything off when I need to, so that I can just deal with either a conversation or you know writing a proposal or you know thinking through a problem so I can come out with a solution. So, so what? Are, what's my routine to switch in and switch out? You know, so that's a really important skill. And then the last one is your tactical skills. You know, so that's knowledge, experience, and all the resources that are available to you. So, so you know, for me, then when we look at change, then we can look at all those sets of skills, and and we we, we can change any of those. But but why we why are we going to do that? Well, we're doing that because. You know, we're all going on this journey to whatever the vision is. To do that, you know, we, we're going to need either new skills, or we're going to need to upgrade skills, or we're going to need to import skills. You know, so so um, that's a constant, constant, constant conversation, as as you say, because everybody loves certainty. You know, we, we we are we're very good at putting labels and and boundaries around something because once we do that, we feel we've got it nailed, and we 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 understand that and it's certain. Uh, but once we begin to unpack that and unravel that a little bit, it becomes quite uncertain and therefore that becomes potentially challenging because me as an individual, I don't know whether I'll be good enough to, to meet that challenge. I don't know whether I really want to meet that challenge, you know, and all those sorts of things. And it could lead to uncertainty in, in employment. It could lead to, you know, me maybe missing out on a promotion, you know, or I be looking across to to my mate across the other side and suddenly they're doing so well in in terms of you know their relationship with their their clientele better than i so what does that mean so um and therefore how do we deal with that well that's where i think you know really good leadership comes in in terms of form well i term term being your own best coach i go back to andrew simons again you know what we want in our businesses and in sport teams is people who don't have formal leadership roles but will step up and make decisions will have a go at something because uh it's 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 kind of part of their dna and and we don't want people not to try we want them to try and and if they succeed that's fantastic if they don't well then we've got a really good learning process for them to take forward
0: yeah, awesome, mate. love that. So much uh, power and gold in uh, all those four areas, like you mentioned, and, and you know how we can improve change and growth um, along that period. And it's been a be- very powerful session today, mate, and uh, I loved it. And as we're um, wrapping up now today, uh, what one key piece of advice would you like to give to all the entrepreneurs uh, watching and listening today?
1: Oh, look, oh, I think, firstly, from my background, if you like, we started with I just think you got to keep dreaming, you know. I, I just think that's such a powerful part of the makeup of anybody that you know wants to advance themselves or, or wants to do something different, you know. Because it, it 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 can if you can find the time and the space to, to live in the world of possibilities, then it can open up potentially so many opportunities. Now. Having done that, then you've got to find a way to seize those, of course. But but unless, you know, you give yourself the opportunity to dream, unless you give yourself the opportunity to seek out possibilities, then I I think everything becomes quite constrained. Everything becomes quite narrowly focused. So I I tend to think that's what it is. And, and, And certainly, as I was explaining, not all dreams come off you know you know they they for whatever reason they they get um or they evaporate you know so but that's then the time to say well what's next what could be next where could i go what can i do how how can this be different you know so i think that's um always just a really important little tool to have in your kit bag
0: yeah awesome mate love that keep dreaming completely agree with that and yeah, we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from, you know, being a lecturer to a very successful um, you know, cricket head coach to a peak performance and leadership coach and speaker. Uh, you know, you're an awesome guy. Uh, I'm sure you continue to you coach and speak to people and businesses to create maximum personal and business results. You know, very grateful that we connected and I look forward to working with you. So, John, how can uh, people find you, get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, thanks for those words, Ethan. Um look, the easiest way I'll just be the website, so if you can in coaching. Dot com or uh, LinkedIn under John Buchanan or uh, Buchanan Success Coaching, but preferably under John Buchanan.
0: Beautiful. Awesome, guys. Definitely check out um, John's website and LinkedIn there. The links will be down below as well. And and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as AthenCasiotis So visit my website, AthenCasiotis.com. If you want to grow and scale your business, you can reach out to me on any platform see if we're a good fit. And I completely agree with you or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.